Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor Bill Smoots delivers the message entitled, Out of Sight is Not Out of Mind. We'll also have music from the Sanctuary Choir. So join us now from Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Friends, we gather to worship, and part of worship includes unburdening ourselves of the things that get in the way of us fully encountering God's grace and fully living into the love that's given to us. And so together as a congregation, let us enter into the prayer of confession, be assured that our prayers are being lifted to a God who loves us abundantly. O God, Help us to use this season of Lent to examine our attachments and to sense where you invite us to live more simply and deeply. Shine the light of your love into the private corners of our lives where we have acquired so much clutter that it has begun to restrict our freedom. Grant us the strength to free ourselves from appetites and needs that drive us into taking, having and wanting more than we need or have time for. Teach us that in letting go we become free, rather than deprived, generous rather than covetous, and spacious rather than restricted. Today we place our feet with yours on the road to Easter and by your grace walk the way that you have walked before us. Amen. Friends, God's mercy is greater than all of our fears and failures. And Christ's compassion is greater than any burden we carry and all of our brokenness. So believe the good news that God's love is without condition or end. Always and forever in Christ Jesus we are loved and forgiven. In that promise let us also stand together and state some of that which we believe. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to live with respect in creation, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 22, reading verses 1 through 8. The psalmist cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson, our gospel lesson for this morning is from the eighth chapter of Mark. And one of the things the Bible study this past Wednesday morning we talked about this particular story is, is the kind of the central pivot point of Mark's gospel. Everything that's happened from the beginning of the gospel up to this point has been about the ministry that Jesus was offering in Galilee, the teaching, the gathering disciples, all those pieces. And from this story onward, it's movement to Jerusalem and all that awaits him there and the end of his life. And, and so I invite us to hear this story in that light. Then he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. The first disciples who responded to Jesus' call and followed after him were day laborers and fisher people and craftspeople from the backwoods of Israel. They could not 
afford time away from the work that provided daily bread for them and their families. They were not educated or sophisticated city types. They were not polished speakers. They were probably not comfortable around the large crowds that often surrounded Jesus. But they were attached to Jesus and had given up so much to follow him and felt so secure in his presence that when Jesus said they all needed to go to Jerusalem for Passover, the disciples swallowed their concerns and their discomforts and their fears and promised to follow where Jesus led them. Some of their time along the road was simply amazing like the conversation that is described in the verses that immediately precede our lesson in Mark 8. As they were traveling along, Jesus turns to the disciples and says, you've been watching, you've been listening. What are the people saying about me? Who do they say I am? And enjoying a moment of church gossip, the disciples blurt out what they have heard. John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet from of old. Then Jesus wants to know who they think he is. And it is Peter, who always seems to speak and act first and think second. It is Peter who blurts out, you are the Messiah. Jesus is pleased with this answer. His acts of compassion and grace are proclaiming that he is indeed sent and empowered by God to love God's people towards renewal and transformation. But the joyous moment passes quickly as a suddenly serious and even scowling Jesus says, you're right, but don't tell anyone. Imagine how the disciples' spirits must have soared in that moment. They were in the presence of the long-awaited Messiah. They were accompanying him to Jerusalem. But then, while the disciples are still caught up in this joyous moment, Jesus starts telling them that the Messiah, that he must suffer and be rejected and ultimately be killed. Jesus does say something also about rising three days later, but the disciples had stopped listening when the word killed exited his lips. Peter, dear, sweet Peter, who is high-strung and anxious even on his best days, Peter goes ballistic at this announcement, yelling at Jesus to stop saying such horrible things, yelling at Jesus for shattering the comforting image he, Peter, he, he, Peter has that, that Jesus has created for him and the other disciples, of Jesus as Messiah in charge of Jerusalem with his helper disciples playing a big role in the new ordering of things. Peter reacting to his deepest fears that Jesus is going to abandon him and the others. Peter takes Jesus aside and dumps all his emotions on Jesus. 
Peter no longer feels safe as a disciple of Jesus. And the anxiety he lives with all the time and the anxiety he feels in traveling to Jerusalem, the anxiety that overwhelms him as the reality of Jesus' true identity sinks in, all of Peter's anxieties rush together at once and tighten on him like a vice. And this vice quickly morphs his anxiety into anger. And Peter's unbridled anxiety releases Jesus' own anxiety, for we cannot forget that in his humanness, Jesus is very much like the disciples. He leads very much like us, susceptible to fears and uncertainties of his own. Peter's rebuke brings all of Jesus' own anxieties rushing to the service, and he in turn explodes with surprising intensity. Get behind me, Satan, he yells at Peter. And in an instant, that holy moment, that that wonderful and precious moment of identity and recognition of God's Messiah being revealed, that moment is shattered. Shattered in an accumulation of anxious, illogical fears. That's what anxiety does, doesn't it? Anxiety takes our words and takes our actions and twists them into responses and reactions that surprise us, that cause hurt, that sow uncertainty, that break relationships apart. When anxiety causes anger to rise up within us, to rise up within a system of which we are a part, like a family, like a congregation, we often end up reacting to the anger and reacting to each other with feelings of hurt and betrayal. And like the disciples, we completely miss the underlying anxiety which drives the anger in ourselves and everyone else. Our anxiety is out of sight, but it is definitely not out of our minds. Lent is a journey that explores in part the effects of anxiety on the disciples and on Jesus and on the larger community of faith. Allowing us through their experiences, allowing us to consider the past and the present and the future effects on a effects of anxiety on us and on our church. I'm guessing that this Lenten exploring will be difficult for some of us individually, maybe difficult for all of us together, because some of what we observe among Jesus and his disciples as they travel together may make us uncomfortable, especially if some of what we observe hits close to home. Some of what we observe and experience as we travel the road of Lent may surface anxieties 
and deep-seated fears that we prefer to keep hidden, that we prefer to try and lock away, that we prefer to ignore. Yet by its very nature, the intimate quality of Lenten travel exposes our fears and our anxieties just like it did for the first disciples. Hear me say, however, that I do hope our Lenten journey is hard. I really hope that our experience of Lent does make us uncomfortable and does make us ask hard questions of ourselves and hard questions about our commitment to Jesus and to each other here in community. And I don't say this lightly. I don't say it to be a jerk. I say this because I believe that we don't learn anything new. We don't think or act or feel differently. We don't attempt to practice any different behaviors in our individual or communal lives unless we are forced to do so. And Lent, I believe, offers us just this shove. Our lesson from Mark concludes with Jesus talking to the inhabitants of the next village along the way as they journey to Jerusalem. I imagine the time following Jesus' explosion at Peter was filled with a lot of awkward silence and also some physical distance. For Mark says that as Jesus is calling the villagers to him, he is also calling the disciples to gather back around. Jesus then talks about the hard work of building God's kingdom, of building God's beloved community on earth. He describes all the personal commitment and sacrifice that will have to be made. To use more contemporary language, I believe that Jesus is talking to his disciples about the importance of their being as less anxious as possible. Jesus is telling his disciples, including us today, that we need to be able to faithfully operate on our own, despite our anxiousness, because we're not going to be able to spend our lives in his presence ever. Jesus is telling us that we must be able to carry and to share God's good news of compassion and love without him telling us how to do everything. And Jesus is telling us that we have to keep our individual and our communal anxiety in check so that together we can be the people and we can do the work that Jesus expects us to be and do. Now I find these words from Jesus hard to hear. Hard to hear and tough to follow. Maybe you feel the same way. But I also hear in Jesus' words that the gospel message is ultimately one of hope. Jesus makes clear to all that God does not 
never will abandon us, abandon us to our anxiety or to anything else. Instead, God continually reminds us through Jesus that God's presence is always with us, that God's presence never goes away. And the new possibilities, and that new possibilities forever exist beyond Lenten anxiety, forever exist beyond any anxiety. Anxiety like the mess that our families can sometimes be. Anxiety like the sometimes many, sometimes messy aspects of our faith community. Anxiety like the heart-rending mess that is too often the world around us. And we are reminded that the new possibilities of God are always known, always known, in love and compassion. This, my friends, is the very essence of hope, God's love and compassion for us. The season of Lent serves to remind us that there is no straight line from anxiety to resurrection, that instead there is always a journey a journey through which we have the opportunity for new learning, for personal growth, for growth as a congregation. The opportunity for the death of bad habits and the end to destructive patterns of behavior. The opportunity to receive afresh God's overwhelming gift of love the gift in which we are forever invited to embrace new ways of living and acting and believing all to the glory of God. I think our spiritual homework for the week ahead should be our answering the same question that Jesus put to his disciples leading into our gospel lesson for it is a question whose answer moves us beyond our personal anxiety and moves us towards the purposes God intends for us. Who do we say Jesus is? Who do we say Jesus is? Amen. You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the Tab podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked sermons and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indy. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B. P-R-E-S dot O-R-G.
thanks for listening and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. Hi, my name is Carter Booker and I'm a member of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. I came to Tab over 15 years ago looking for a group of people who took seriously the teachings of Jesus, especially the teaching that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. What did I find? I found a community giving their resources to support a local school, to strengthen the health and well-being of a neighborhood, to mentor and guide young people through athletics, and the list could go on and on. If you believe it is important to love your neighbor, then TAB is the place for you. I'm Carter Booker, and I invite you to come and see for yourself. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis, invites you to worship Sunday morning at 8 or 10 a.m. If you can't make it in person, tune in to Sunday with Tab, Sunday mornings at 6.30 on WIBC, or find us online at tabpres.org.